Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Brandon Robertson, author, speaker, activist, and pastor, one of my colleagues. Uh, thanks, Brandon, for being here. It's so good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Cool. Well, I am uh, pleased to be a colleague of Brandon Robertson. He's a pastor of Mission Gathering Christian Church San Diego, and I got to meet him a couple, three and a half, two and a half years ago. I don't know. You lose track of time. Yeah. And uh, I always joke with this with Brandon. Uh, Brandon is a graduate of Moody. Uh, is it Moody Bible College? What is it? Moody Institute? Bible Institute. Bible Institute. I mean, it sounds just prestigious. And it is. Uh, <laughs> I went, when I was in college, I was a, spent one summer in a traveling camp. And there was a guy there from Moody. And I just remember like kind of being like, like an awe of his like spirituality. So I just, I just assign that level of spirituality to you, Brandon, every time I, I have you it. and see you and talk to you. So that's why basic, I want to have you on here because I'm yeah. like, there's no person more spiritual than Brandon. So, uh, <laughs> Brandon, <laughs> tell me kind of tell our, our listeners and viewers who you are and, uh, tell us a little bit about your story. Do we have uh, five hours? Just five for, hours. Um, <laughs> Well, like you said, um, I currently serve as the lead pastor of Mission Gathering Christian Church here in San Diego. I've been here for three years, just under three years. Um, and yeah, basically my quick overview is grew up fundamentalist Baptist in Maryland. Um, and very early on around the age of 12 felt called to pastoral ministry. And from 12, year old, 12 years old onward, started engaging in studying the Bible, teaching, preaching. Um, for about four years, I, I helped lead a street preaching ministry in Baltimore where we'd go down and tell people they were going to hell every week. Um, <laughs> and then, yep, got to preach the truth. And then I ended up um, getting kicked out of that church because I became a Calvinist. I uh, discovered Mark Driscoll. Darn um, right, if you don't, she got kicked out. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> if you don't know who Mark Driscoll is, listeners, you should definitely uh, Google him and you'll see why that's horrifying. But um <laughs> I, I, I thought he was the coolest thing I'd ever seen because he was essentially a fundamentalist, but could drink and smoke and cuss and wore cool clothes. Um, and so I started down that path, ended up at a um, black mega church, pr primarily African-American. Um, they would call themselves multicultural, but yeah. it was heavily uh, African-American. And the lead pastor there, a guy named Dr. David Anderson, took me under his wing and in that context, I really learned um, and saw for the first time the beginning of what could be a broader Christianity. They were super grace focused. They were super focused on building bridges across differences and divides. Um, Dr. Anderson really just helped me to see that I didn't need to be so afraid of people who had slightly different theology than I did. Um, and in that context, I started preaching um, pretty Regularly, Dr. Anderson would let me lead the Tuesday night prayer service that they had, which had a couple hundred people every week. And then 
let me preach at the age of 16 to 6,000 people on a Sunday morning Wow! and really just poured into me and gave me so much support. Um, Dr. Anderson went to Moody Bible Institute. And so mm. we had a conversation and he said, Brandon, if you go to Moody, we'll do our very best to help cover the cost of your education if you can go nice. there. So I applied to Moody, got in, went off to Moody and uh, for four years there, kind of had a total deconstruction of faith. Um, Moody is right in the heart of downtown Chicago. And I always say, I think that's probably the worst plan. If you want to start a fundamentalist Bible college, don't put it in the heart of one of America's biggest cities. Yeah. Because I would go from class where I'd be hearing all this fundamentalist doctrine that I already believed. But then you walk out the door and you're on the streets of Chicago and you interact with people and have experiences with Mormons and Muslims and Catholics and all these people that I were thought were going to hell and were evil. Um, and I very quickly found that these people uh, displayed the love of Christ better than so many of us at Moody did. Um, also during that time, started wrestling with my sexuality. I had known that I struggled with same-sex attraction for a while. Um, and at Moody, I had a mentor who was an ex-gay, um, pretty prominent guy who had lived the gay lifestyle, got HIV, went into mm. drug dealing, went to jail, and then got saved in jail. And then now he's got this kind of ex-gay testimony. And he was mentoring me and shepherding me in that direction. Um, did a year of conversion therapy. By the time I got to the end of Moody, um, graduated by the grace of God. And I, I kind of knew at that point that whatever I had experienced there, whatever kind of Christianity that was, seemed so unlike the Jesus that I was experiencing personally and reading in the gospels. Um, my Moody Bible Institute Christianity seemed to be rooted in fear, fear of yeah. God, fear of others. And the Christianity I saw through Jesus was one of curiosity and humility. Um, and so I moved to Washington DC um, where I'm from, was there for two years, somehow snagged a job as the national spokesperson for a new organization called Evangelicals for Marriage Equality. Hmm. And we launched that organization in Time Magazine in 2015. And as soon as that went out, um, I had also secured a book deal um, with a Christian publisher to write about millennial Christian spirituality. As soon as I uh, we launched this organization. That publisher called me and said, Brandon, because you're advocating for gay marriage, we're canceling your contract. Um, yeah. And that itself became another story in Time Magazine, except when that story was published, uh, Time Magazine had come to me and said, we, we've kind of been interviewing people. We know a bit about your past. We know about who you are. We know that you're actually gay. And you're, I wasn't out of the closet yet. I was a straight progressive evangelical. Uh, yeah. And they said, we want to write in this story about you losing your book deal about your sexuality. And so they said they would give me a few weeks to talk to people and come out. And then they wanted to publish the story. Wow. Uh, liter literally the day after that conversation, wow. um, I was hanging with friends and my phone started blowing up with text messages. Mm -hmm. And uh, Time had published the article with the headline, Young Evangelical Leader Loses Book Deal After Coming Out. Um, of course, I wasn't out yet. That's how my mom found out. My dad found out. That's how everyone uh, wow. found out. But it pushed me out of the closet. And yeah, traumatic at first, for sure. But 
it also, um, I look back on it with some sense of gratitude for kind of ripping the Band-Aid off. I, I didn't have to have awkward coming out conversations right. because of that. But from there onward, um, the journey became discovering a new kind of Christianity that would accept me as an LGBT person, as a more progressive person. Um, and long story short, it is after I went to seminary in Denver, I needed a job. And uh, my friend Rich had started this church here in San Diego, and they were looking for a pastor. And so I called Rich up and said, can I apply? And three years later, here we are. So here we are. Yeah. Well, thanks, Brandon. Um, You kind of alluded to it kind of in your story there, but one of the questions I wanted to ask is kind of how you would differentiate. And I think you alluded to it kind of with your, how you understood Christianity in the past being about fear and now, or at least, you know, in your, in your progression, kind of being about curiosity, anything you'd elaborate there? Yeah. I mean, it's, I kind of, I hate cheesy Christian catchphrases, but yeah. I, I think this is true, profoundly true for me. It was in meditating on First John while I was in Bible college, where it literally says, God is love for perfect love casts out all fear. But most people don't know the next part, which says, because fear has to do with judgment. It was meditating on that scripture and understanding that the nature of God fundamentally is love. Mm-hmm. And it, God's nature expels all fear. And God's nature especially expels fear that has to do with fear of judgment, whether from people or from God. Yeah. And as soon as that really sunk in, my, my posture became, I can explore anything. Mm-hmm. I can go hang out in the Hindu temple in India when I was on my mission trip and like not worry that I'm going to get attacked by Satan while I'm there <laughs> because God is love and love yeah. casts out fear. I'm going to be protected if there is evil and I'm going to be led in the right direction no matter what, because I trust in the spirit of God. And, and I just really think the other passage, John chapter three, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's like the winds. No one knows from where it comes or where it goes. And then he says, so it is with everyone born of the spirit. Those two paradigms of our spiritual journey needs to be windswept. It needs to be windy. It needs to be open and airy. And there shouldn't be fear. If you're functioning from those two expectations, I think you're going to be curious. I think um, people get frustrated with me all the time, even as a pastor, because you can't really nail me down. I don't, my theology today may be different in six months, but that's the whole point of this spiritual journey. We're talking about the one thing we can't understand, the infinite God. We're all just doing our best. Yeah. So yeah. let's just keep being curious. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Um, first of all, hey, thanks for bringing some scripture in here. Now we can like. <laughs> Moody Bible the, Institute. Right yeah. Moody Bible it. Institute. We're good. We're good Bible believing Christians here. Yes, uh, and then second of all, you and I kind of uh, grew up in similar contexts and that judgment thing I know speaks to me as I think something that still kind of stays with me, like getting in trouble. I was just thinking about that like this week about the idea of like getting in trouble, how much that increases my anxiety of like judgment coming down and that being such a powerful motivator for behavior uh, modification or control in those contexts. And um yeah, I appreciate what you said about that curiosity and that winding spirit when so much of conservative Christianity is like kind of stuck on this narrow road to use another metaphor. Um, yeah. You know, it's, 
it's a whole new experience to be to to explore other things so uh speaking of uh winding roads and metaphors uh nomad is a metaphor we might say and if i'm reading correctly about this book you had another experience where this uh with the publisher canceling is that correct this is the book that got canceled oh this is the book okay yeah oh so you're putting out here some years later then yeah so and yeah so (laughs) i'll get it well, Brandon, uh, I want to ask you about this book then, No Bad, and uh, yeah. talk to me about kind of what moved you to write this book about uh, spirituality and following the way of, of Jesus. Yeah. So that book, um, I'd been writing and blogging for a little while, while while I was in Bible college. I had a radio show on the Moody Campus Radio Network and a podcast and had started building just a small audience. And um I was talking about what it was like to be an evangelical who is rethinking evangelical. Um, my blog was called Revangelical, and mm-hmm. um, in that, I, much of my reflection was all about this journey, this um, slow deconstruction of my faith as I discovered that God was bigger than I could conceive of. And so, a publisher actually reached out to me. They were called Destiny Image, and they're a Pentecostal publisher, they publish people like T.D. Jakes and Joyce Meyer, and they said, hey, we are trying to publish this progressive evangelical line of books to help push conversations forward, um, which I thought was super compelling. Um, And so my junior year in college, uh, they flew me out to their offices in Pennsylvania. I signed a book contract with them, and it was this book, Nomad. And for the next year and a half, I spent time kind of just pouring out my heart on different topics that had changed. And so the book is really a series of theological essays mm-hmm. on different topics like grace, um, um, war, fluid, fluidity of sexuality, things like that. Um, and I reflected on all of that, put that together, sent it off to the publisher. And it was supposed to also primarily help people understand where I thought millennial spirituality was going. Um, yeah, sure. And yeah, at, after I sent it in, it was all set to be published. And then I lost the book deal and basically waited two years until uh, a UK publisher picked it up. And so I've had it out for three years now in the UK only. Mm-hmm. And it's been incredible to go over there because they're like a half a step uh beyond where we are in the United States on spiritual evolution, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, that's, that's a great topic, topic for a yeah, Christian here. Thanks. Totally. Um, but now it's coming out again in August, finally being released in the United States uh, by Fortress Press, which was a complete surprise. I had nothing to do with it. They literally contacted me and said, we just bought your book and it's coming out. Have a nice day. So I'm excited about that. And well, congratulations. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, this book is quite a contrast then, uh, you know, I think of, and you kind of spoke to it, of this nomad of not really knowing where the journey's going, of kind of just following the wind or the waves uh, versus that real certain kind of clear-eyed, you know, you're going this way direction of your youthful faith. Yeah. I think what was beneficial for me, honestly, was that my family isn't religious. They, they weren't mm-hmm. Christian. And so I came to faith on my own. And so very early on, faith was my thing Mm -hmm. and I had an ownership over it. So even when I was a fundamentalist, 
I was still coming home and watching TBN and like loving Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen and Rod Parsley and yeah. these, um, which didn't fit the theological paradigm of my church. So I had that curiosity from very early on and it yeah. just progressed. Cool. I want to ask you a couple about a couple quotes or themes from the book for you to elaborate. You kind of mentioned this, that uh, it's kind of meant to give some insights into the spirituality of millennials and younger, younger folks. Uh, but you say insights, I'm kind, of, kind of curious, what are some of those insights into the new generation of progressive evangelical followers of Jesus? Yeah, well, I think in some senses, uh, what I wrote in that book is changing. Um, the, mm-hmm. the insights I originally had are changing. And I think they're primarily changing because of the moment that we're living in right now, uh, the yeah. COVID-19 world putting on pause. I think we're going to see, not to even overstate this, I think we're going to see such reformations in the church and society that we can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I was trying to get at in the book was a couple things. One, that... Um, the younger generation of evangelicals at the time, what I would call evangelicals, but I think are just millennial uh, Christians in general, uh, we are more politically engaged. So in the book, I have a chapter called War, and I quote Rachel Held Evans and really use her example as somebody who navigated that space really well, being deeply rooted in faith, but also seeing that faith needed to have political and social ramifications. Um, I have a chapter called Roots, where... I talk about how my generation grew up without tradition. And so many evangelicals grew up in this mega church model, which is Mm -hmm. like, let's create something new every, every time fresh expressions. Yeah. And that's left us with a sense of no madness in a bad way. We feel like we have no home. We have no roots. And so, so many of us have gone back to liturgical traditions. Um, And even if like, Mission Gathering today doesn't really have much of a liturgical tradition, but if you come in my room, I have an icon of Mary behind me and mm. icons of, like, I have a, a deep want desire to be connected to the faith once delivered this long yeah. tradition. Um, and I really think that kind of pull right there really symbolizes the faith of this new generation. It's a faith that's trying to progress forward socially, but also trying to be rooted um, in tradition, and not not only just Christian tradition, um, we see people of color um, reclaiming African indigenous traditions and Native yeah. American traditions, yeah. even as Christians. Right. And for me, um, I love Celtic heritage. I, I've studied Celtic paganism for years. I've done pilgrimages to sites that my fundamentalist self would have said were demonic. Yeah. But now yeah. I get to see how God was at work even through other traditions that were ancient before Christianity. Um, yeah. So I feel like that push and pull, that forward backward motion is really where we need to be looking as institutions of religion. How do we progress forward socially and root people in practices and beliefs that truly have helped shape billions of people for yeah, thousands billions. of years? Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, I want to touch on that point you made about, we're in the midst of this COVID pandemic. I don't, as we're recording this, what, two months almost in? Um, yeah. I know that's just something I've been thinking about a lot is what are the ramifications as this is a pretty significant social disruption. Yeah. And I think there's some people who are kind of like, oh, people are going to come pouring back into church after this. And I'm of the opinion, 
Like this is gonna be completely disruptive. And I'm curious, have you given thought to what the future might look like? Yeah, and you're gonna not like me because I'm gonna jump ahead on your questions a little bit. <laughs> I saw you mentioned um, one of my mentors, uh, the late Phyllis, Phyllis Tickle. Tickle. Yeah. Yeah. And she was an incredible woman. And I really do think um, a prophet in, in the full supernatural sense of the word, um, because Phyllis had this theory, which wasn't hers alone, that every 500 years, there was a major reformation that would happen. Yeah. And she, she said, I mean, 500 years from when the Protestant reformation happened, 1517 was 2017. But most of the time, the reformations that she outlines in all of her books they weren't human initiated reformations. The reason the Protestant Reformation happened was because of socio-political things happening in Europe yeah. that caused Martin Luther to emerge. Yep. I think COVID-19 is that 500 year reformation mark. We're only a couple of years off from the precise date yeah. and uh, not to get conspiracy theory about it, but like, I think what has shifted and again, even saying it feels a little weird because we've <laughs> grown up with the internet, right? Right, right. But, but our world has truly finally become virtual. Right. Our world has truly finally become digital. Every church, every synagogue, every mosque is now digital. Every doctor's office is now digital. Like grocery shopping is now digital. We have a new reality we're moving into and it's also showing us that in these two months that we have been digital and actually more like four, if you look at some of the other countries in the world, right. The earth is healing itself and yeah. uh, carbon emissions are down. And a lot of us are actually finding it's actually pretty satisfying to just stay at home. Like I used to travel at least once a month and thought staying at home for two months would be the end of me, but I'm actually enjoying simple living. Um, I think all of that is going to impact us so that hopefully we don't run back to life after yeah. this. And we also know this virus is going to be around probably for the next year and a half to two years. Yeah. So this is going to become normal. This yeah. is normal. And um, I don't know what that looks like. Hmm. I just know that churches like yours and mine now have equal access to everyone that yeah. the mega church down the road does. And that, entertainment tonight does on their facebook stream like we all yep. have equal access um, it's pretty crazy and, it's pretty yeah, wild and we're seeing people tune in um yeah i don't know how facebook you know this better than me but i get excited to see after my sermons posted for a week we have 1500 or 2000 views on it i don't think that actually means 2000 people sat and watched the whole sermon but yeah definitely more engagement than yeah. i would normally yeah. be getting um, absolutely so it's interesting it is interesting um, yeah, one of my, one of my colleagues I work with now, uh, he was talking to a, someone in technology and, and they're saying the idea that, you know, we're seeing an adaptation that would normally take five to 10 years in about, you know, two to four weeks, essentially yeah. of technology, because we've kind of been forced to adapt. And it certainly reminds your point about the 500 years, uh, an, an evangelical guy, Brady Shear kind of makes this big the thing point about the internet being one of those 500 year drivers similarly. Yeah. So um, kind of getting back to your, your nomad book here, although I love this conversation yeah. about the future, uh, but this kind of, kind of lays into this conversation about what's future spirituality going to look like. Um, you talk about this whole life spirituality 
which really resonates with me. Um, I don't know about for you, but for, for me growing up in a conservative Christian uh, home and, and church, I mean, that, that was your whole life was being a Christian and hmm. becoming what I would classify at least as a more liberal Christian, there was kind of this bifurcation of, of head versus heart kind of separation where I could go to church and be an intellectual and follow Jesus, but there really, really wasn't much, much really tools or, uh, or avenues for me to pursue or follow my faith outside of church. And that's, that's kind of what this podcast is meant to be about is, is helping people find ways and tools to really, live out their faith outside the walls and constrainments of traditional conservative Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, that whole life spirituality, you're right. That's one of the key marks that I noted early on about millennials was that, and this is bad for both you and I in the church business, (laughs) but um, I, I think you're right. I think in this era, there's been this bifurcation of, uh, religious identity and like that it's compartmentalized but also in the past it has always been centralized around this one thing called the church and around a few certain activities that we do together in this church i think what we're seeing now and this was again philistical age of the spirit idea we're awakening to this idea whether we would articulate it this way or not that spirit is in everything and that god is in everything and that our health physically is as important as our mental health as is our spiritual health. And like these areas, we just see a raising awareness, at least in our Western part of the world. Um, and I only say that cause I can't speak for the global South or the East, but yeah, yeah, in our yeah. world, uh, I know everyone is thinking about how do I combine mental, physical, spiritual together? And you see that I always use this example and people make fun of me, but I think it's fascinating soul cycle when it came out about five years ago oh sure yeah as a big thing um i was i had a press pass to go to an oprah event and i was in this uh, stadium in washington dc with six thousand middle-aged women doing soul cycle without bikes and light up bracelets in this room with oprah and it was truly a spiritual experience to see these women hearing spiritual affirmations and truths spoken over them, engaging in physical activity, being in community. And it really opened my eyes in that moment. I saw that this can be done. Our spirituality can be part of our day-to-day life. Um, Christianity is less of a thought now that I have to act Christianly. And instead is that I live in the presence of Christ. And therefore everything I do is Christian. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of theology packed into yeah, that. Yeah, there's a lot. Kind of and we don't have to go into but, all that. It's yeah, much yeah, yeah. fun to be much fun it was a would be, but I I, yeah. I I appreciate what you're saying. I'm curious what would you give to listeners then as some spiritual practice maybe you've developed or less um, practices you might recommend as ways to incorporate that kind of whole life spirituality. I know like for me, um, I can't do it anymore really because of a back injury, but running really became for me a really spiritual activity. I found yeah. during this COVID crisis, journaling really has become a really important activity for me. What are some ways you'd recommend? Yeah, um, I would actually recommend stop trying to be disciplined. Um, oh, I, I love it. And this Keep is, going. A, this is, yeah, this is a fairly new insight for me, but 
Um, I did an interview uh, like four weeks ago with uh, an author named Thomas Moore, and he's an incredible guy. Um, and anyways, I asked him this question because it's one that I've always struggled with. I've always still maintained this sense of guilt because I'm not a naturally disciplined person. I mean, literally at the beginning, you can't see it on the screen, but at COVID, when this started, I bought a meditation mat and it's mm -hmm. sitting over my corner and I've not sat on it once. Like the intention there was I'm going to wake up every day and do yeah, this. Yeah, meditate. And I have it. Um, Thomas More said, when I asked him, how do I be more disciplined? He said, Brandon, I've never been disciplined. And he was a Catholic monk for 15 years. Yeah. He said, the point of life, the point is to enjoy life and to do whatever it is that makes you happy and gives you pleasure in this moment. And if it doesn't, don't do it. Um, and I just actually published an article today about this because there's a natural reaction for Christians because for some reason we've been taught to believe that we're supposed to be these ascetics yeah, that are yeah. supposed to say no to pleasure right. and be all about sacrifice. Yep. But if you actually look at Jesus, he was a guy who was far more familiar with belly laughing and drinking with his friends than he was with suffering and grief. Mm -hmm. And yes, he lived simply and didn't have lots of money, but he's still reclining at tables every turn of the page and <laughs> taking naps whenever he got the chance and yep. leaving the crowd to go off and relax these are regular parts of Jesus's life. And I think if we just stop whatever our expectation is from spiritual practice mm -hmm. and instead just wake up and say, if you say tomorrow, I feel like journaling today, that would be a good thing for me right now. Do it. If you say, I feel like I just need to lay in bed for an extra hour and just chill out because yesterday was intense. Do it. And I really do think there's, um, we actually become more spiritually productive that way than mm -hmm. having a regimented schedule. And I don't know if it's universal, but that definitely works, has been working for me. I've been working out and I could never work out, uh, but really? I've been fairly okay. regularly working out because I don't have an expectation that I need to work yeah, out. It's just like, a, oh, I want to. So anyways. Cool. Getting some meat on those <laughs> bones, right? I've been taking bulking uh, supplements, so we'll see what happens. But. Yeah, right. All right. <laughs> Um, cool. Let's stay, let's take a break real quick and we'll come back for our closing second, uh, okay. segment. All right. We're back with Brandon Robertson and, uh, Brandon is kind of my closing question. So some are fun. Some you can take them as fun or as serious as you want to take them. Uh, if you were Pope for a day, what's your, what's your first act? And I know you're working on a, a poli-sci degree right now, master's in poli-sci, right? Yeah. So uh, this, you know, this could happen someday. So what's your first move? <laughs> well, once I convert to the Catholic church, then um, that's actually a hard question, but I, and I don't know that I could do this, but we're, since this is an imaginary question. Yeah, yeah. If you've, anybody's ever been to the Vatican museums, they are filled, filled, filled to the brim with billions of dollars of priceless art. Mm -hmm. And there is, and it, most of it has nothing to do with Jesus or the Catholic Church or religion. Um, I would liquidate all of that. Oh, wow. Um, there's no re like making no waves. Yes. Yeah. And wow. get rid of all that stuff and 
find some good use for that money, whether it's curing global poverty, which you could probably do with the billions of dollars you would have. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do something like that. All right. So since you're not Catholic, would you convert to, if you could convert to any other religion, become like the equivalent of the Pope, what is that? <laughs> what are you becoming? So I can't just convert to the religion. I have to be the world leader of that religion. Right. Um, right. I mean, if, if someone's like, Hey, you have to convert, but we'll make you world leader. I, I mean, I really like the position of the Dalai Lama other than the constant mm. attacks by uh, China. But yeah, those... he, the current Dalai Lama has done the thing that you would never expect somebody in his position to, be, position to be able to do. He says, I am not the reincarnation of Buddha, even though that's what his title right. is. He literally right. says that. And people just smirk and say, yeah, you are. And he just kind of does his thing. And he's essentially an atheist. If you read his latest book, Beyond Religion, he's essentially mm. an atheist. He's just got this freedom, but he gets to kind of invent his own spirituality, root it in Buddhism, of course, mm-hmm. and speak to world powers. I mean, he's got a pretty pretty good gig. Yeah, it's been a couple of years, but I've read a couple of his early books. Yeah, um, Here's, again, a question you can take as seriously or as, as fun as you like. A theologian or Christian historical figure, or we could, we could expand it to religious figure, you could bring back to life. Who is it? Jesus can't be the answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, Jesus cannot be the answer. He's already alive, we might say, right? You know, I've been, uh, over this quarantine, I've been reading a lot about um, Emperor Constantine and his mother, oh. Helena. Um, and I have some very serious questions for him about, because he basically shaped what we call Christianity today. Right, um, yeah. And he wasn't a Christian prior to doing that. Mm-hmm. And so there are some eyebrow raising moments like there were imperial agendas built into some of our theology and i would really like to talk to him and hopefully be able to uh change some of his decisions before he makes them wow big time (laughs) big time um cool what would you um what do you think if we went ahead maybe in the future 500 years we talked about the kind of 500 year what do you think this time in history I mean, you kind of alluded to it, COVID kind of being the thing, um, the internet. I mean, are those the things you think that history will remember us for, or do you think something else? That's really hard. I Obviously, the internet will be the most major innovation in this century um, when it's remembered. I also think we've made the most momentous social leaps in this century than we have in any other time in human history, as far as whether it's gay rights or women's rights or people of color's rights. Um, Mm -hmm. We've seen just in Europe and the United States, all of that innovation. But I think 500 years from now, the world is going to be so drastically different that we cannot even conceive of it. The rate of innovation that's happening right now is crazy. And I think AI will be ruling most of the world. (laughs) <laughs> and humans might not yeah. even be here. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, tell our listeners where they can find more of you. I know they all want some Brandon Robertson. So uh, where can I we get that your... I ended that on. Humanity is going to be dead in 500 years. <laughs> no, you can find out some more about yeah. me. At, uh... Yeah. His hopefulness is uh, full, of, full of hope. Yeah. Give the people uh, what they want. Robert brandonrobertson.com i put everything on there update it way too often all my social media contacts everything i've ever written is on that website um but it's b-r-a-n-d-a-n robertson.com 
So. And when does Nomad uh, hit the press? Hit the hit the digital shelves, I guess we might say. Yeah, it comes out paperback and Kindle in August. They haven't given me the exact date, but August 2020. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks, Brandon, and uh, peace. Peace. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.